Well, again, Beller Church in Los Angeles, what a joy it is as we do gather in worship. In a moment, we're going to go to God's Word. We also find ourselves a week out from Memorial Day weekend as we celebrate freedom. But freedom is a conundrum. On one hand, there is no greater thing that we value in this country and in the world than freedom. And on the other hand, there is nothing that more gets in the way of freedom than misapplied freedom. In fact, you could say that there is a shadow form of freedom. Gives the illusion of freedom, but it actually leads to enslavement, an enslavement of the mind, the heart, the body, the soul. In a world that pursues this shadow of freedom, people are objects or obstacles. The self is center. And the primary activity in this world of shadow freedom is simply freedom feeding. And as we consume more and more, it actually leads us to be empty inside. But the great news is that there is a true freedom that leads to real freedom, a freedom that we long for, a freedom that we hope for. It's a freedom that frees our mind, our hearts, our souls, our very being. It's a world in which we might live in that the self is not the center. The primary activity is actually freedom serving. And in this world of pursuing true freedom, we have an opportunity to step into a life that actually fills us with a joy and significance unlike anything else. This passage that we will go to in Galatians chapter 5 gives us a very clear picture of the world that we live in that there is a shadow freedom and a true freedom, and that there are perils all around us of being freedom feeders, pursuing shadow freedom. So let me read, this is Galatians chapter 5, written by the Apostle Paul in the first century. This passage here is verses 13 through 16, and then I will jump down to the end of the section and simply read verses 25 and 26. Paul writes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, for you, for me, for us today, saying this, for you, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say, thanks be to God. So in this passage that is so timely for us, there is this very clear, very profound picture of a shadow freedom and a true freedom. But in an even deeper way, it shows us that there is a, a person in this shadow freedom, a purpose in this shadow freedom, and a path to this shadow freedom. It also goes into greater detail and talks about the person of true freedom, the purpose of true freedom, and the path to true freedom. So why don't we walk down this passage and begin to take a look first at the shadow freedom, first beginning with the person. 
Now, this passage is very clear that in the world that exists where we might think we are pursuing freedom, but in actual fact, it is a shadow. And what I mean by shadow is that, you know, like in everyday life, there are real objects, physical objects that move and have weight to them, have significance to them. And every single object, if it's illuminated by light, there is a shadow that takes the form, that takes the shape of that object. Now, maybe you've heard me say before that the shadow of a car moves the same speed down the 101 freeway. The shadow of a friend you might be able to recognize. The shadow of a tree even moves and sways in the wind. And yet you can't get into the shadow of a car and drive it. You can't hug the shadow of a friend. You can't lean up against the shadow of a tree. In the same way, all throughout Scripture, there is this imagery that is given of both a a life pursuing God that is illuminated by light and a life apart from God that is darkness. And yet it says in Scripture that God's enemy is one who masquerades as an angel of light, who doesn't so much tempt us to believe that the dark things are good, but that the shadow things are real. And there is this illusion that we can live in that Scripture refers to as a shadow form of freedom. It takes the shape, it takes the form of true freedom, which we'll get to in a moment. And it's so compelling. It takes the shape of true freedom in such an accurate way that humanity for all of history has pursued in our own strength, in our own will, that shadow form of freedom. And the person of shadow freedom is the self. It is a view of the world that puts the self at the center. The gravitational pull of all things is me. And we see it with little kids and we see adults don't grow out of it. They just know how to subtly cover it up in ways that become socially acceptable. The gravitational pull of a shadow pull of life towards shadow freedom is the self that is front and center. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy, I love this passage in 1 Timothy, he says this, he gives this warning to Timothy. It's actually in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he says, Timothy, you must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come, for people will become lovers of themselves. He goes on. And as a result, they become lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the outward form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says to Timothy and to us, avoid them. But sometimes the them is us if we think that freedom is for us. That if we demand freedom for ourselves in such a way that it distorts the true person, the true purpose, the true path of freedom, which we'll get to in a moment. Paul says, be careful when freedom is all about you and for you. He goes on in this passage and doesn't just talk about the shadow person of freedom, which is you as the centerpiece, as the hallmark, but he goes and talks about the shadow purpose of freedom. Take a look at verse 13 in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, only do not use your freedom 
as an opportunity for. And this speaks to the purpose, the freedom for, he says it this way in the English translation, for self-indulgence. In the Greek language, it is the word sarx. It is literally the flesh, but it's not this view of the body as being bad. Actually, there is this uh, truth that as you go down deeper in this passage, it talks about uh, what the flesh desires. In verse 16, it says, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it's this imagery of taking a good thing that God has given us and having an over-desire for it, taking a good thing and making it a great thing, an only thing, to take a thing and to put it at the place that only God should exist. And there is this shadow form of freedom whose purpose exists not only for the self, but to satisfy ourselves with the things of this world. And the problem with that is we pursue shadow freedom is people then in our lives either become objects for our self-indulgence or obstacles to our self-indulgence. In fact, if you go towards the end of that section that I read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, it says, let us not become conceited. Again, this imagery that Paul is giving is that when we pursue a shadow form of freedom, it leads to the purpose of self-indulgence. We then become conceited. Now, what's so fascinating is that in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, the word for conceited is two words mashed together, kenos. And the second word is doxos. Kenos is the emptying of oneself. Doxos is glory. The English word conceited, which Paul is warning us to not become through a shadow form of freedom, is this imagery of a person who is empty of glory. Now, you've heard me share before, maybe some of you in the study of Scripture, you know that glory also means significance and weight and matter. The great irony is that many of us, we long to have significance. We long to matter. We long to have a weightiness to our lives. And so we pursue a false or a shadow form of freedom, trying to fill ourselves up with matter, with significance, with glory. And we use people and we use things and we use opportunities. In fact, many people have moved to this city, Los Angeles, to make a name for ourselves. And there's a shadow form of freedom that actually will cause us to become empty, vacuum of matter. Paul says, be very, very careful to think that the purpose of freedom is to fill yourself up. In fact, he goes on and he talks about the path towards a shadow freedom. He says it this way. He says in verse 26 that there are some who compete against one another or envy one another. Now, those two Greek words there give two different type of perspectives of how people can relate to one another. The first one is competing against one another. It gives the image in the Greek language of somebody who lords their authority, their power, their weight, their freedom over somebody else. It is a, a downward, a condescending view of somebody else. We talk about people who have a superiority complex. 
complex. That is this first verb here competing against one another. But he goes on. He says that there's some that envy one another. This is the opposite of a superiority complex. It is a inferiority complex. It is somebody who in their freedom looks up at somebody else and envies the freedom, the authority, the power that they have, and they have a bitterness, a hatred towards that person. There is a path to a shadow form of freedom that distorts how we relate to one another. Paul goes into great detail throughout his many letters and talks about the great irony of when we try to pursue this thing for ourselves, when we try to fill ourselves up. He says it this way, back in Galatians chapter 5, that there are some that we must be careful of, as it says in verse 15, who bite and devour one another. As I said in the beginning, in a world that is pursuing a shadow form of freedom, the primary activity is freedom feeding. Paul says that when we live our lives pursuing a shadow form of freedom, if the center of that universe is ourselves, if the purpose is to fill ourselves up so that we can fill the empty glory that we fill in our lives, we actually do so by devouring one another. We see people in our lives and choosing the people who we want to be in relationship with or in business with as people who serve our needs. Think about the relationships that you are drawn to. As you think about those relationships, can you look back and perhaps see that you have chosen certain people who you think will make you look good or further your career or fill you up? And can you look back on relationships and, and see that there were perhaps moments where that person wasn't serving you or your career in the way that they used to and you got to the place where you had no need for them anymore and you moved on? You see, this shadow form of freedom is so, so subtle. And yet when we pursue this shadow form of freedom, it becomes the greatest obstacle to true freedom. We are told that we live in a world that is a dog-eat-dog world. The problem is, is if you eat or be eaten, you will find yourself, as the Apostle Paul says in verse 15, you will become consumed yourself. And it's this sad, ironic black hole of a life that the more we say, look at me, look at me, look at me, the more the world loses interest and wants to look away. And the more we try to fill ourselves up using the freedoms that we have, using others as opportunities and as objects, the more we find ourselves empty on the other side. As we transition out of this season of quarantine, I have heard the word freedom used more, I think, than at any point in my life. There is this great disagreement over what freedom is, who really has freedom, how to get freedom and how to exercise that freedom. And so much of the freedom talk that I hear in society is actually a shadow form of freedom, where it is this pursuit of the self at the expense of other people. 
And we see people and groups colliding against one another. And the ironic, sad, distorted fact is that this pursuit of a, of a false freedom, a shadow freedom, creates no freedom for anyone. It leaves an emptiness. It leaves a void. It leaves a sense that as we enter out of this quarantine, we have an opportunity to actually choose and pursue a true freedom. Now, Scripture says that the person of true freedom is in ourself. It's the holy, matchless, name above all names, face of freedom, Jesus Christ. In fact, when you take a look at the life of Jesus, the inaugural sermon that Jesus gave was all about freedom. Listen to this. If you have your Bibles, perhaps you want to turn back to Luke chapter 4. And if not, you can read below. I love this. After Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights by God's enemy, he comes out of that experience resting, holding on to the truth of who God says that Jesus is. And he goes in verse 16 of Luke 4, he goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. And he stood up to read. This was his first sermon. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. First message, first sermon. This is how he is breaking out upon the world, all of human history. And he reads this from Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. Luke records that all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were upon him. Then he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In a one-sentence sermon, Jesus takes the heart of God which is to proclaim freedom, true freedom, not false freedom, not shadow freedom, true freedom for all of humanity, for all of creation. And in this one sentence sermon, Jesus says, I embody that. I fulfill that. Jesus is the person of true freedom. And as we find ourselves in this Remarkable moment in time as our hearts and our minds are scanning the horizon, scanning the airwaves, scanning the new newspapers for the source of freedom, for the source of hope, for the source of peace. There is one alone who we can find true freedom, true peace, true joy in, and it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who has come to embody freedom, embodies freedom through his perfect life. And he fulfills the law. 
So that many passages of scripture, Romans 6, for example, talk about how we now through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, the person of true freedom, the face of freedom, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we now are free from the law. We are free from guilt. We are free from actually working to earn God's love. And that was the whole point of the letter of Galatians because there was a group of people who would come into these first followers of Jesus and they were layering upon the relationship that one would have to Jesus Christ. They were layering upon grace and mercy. They were laying upon that the law. And their equation for faith was Jesus plus the law. And Paul, with so much anger, because he sees people getting a distorted view of the grace of Jesus Christ, the person of freedom, he writes this letter in such a profound way that at the end of Galatians, he says, I am now writing with such big words. He literally, he takes the, the pen from the attendant, the scribe who was writing this letter, he takes the, the pen out of his hands and he writes in his own hand. These letters, because he has so much passion that people had missed the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But this freedom that is found in the person of Jesus, this true freedom found in the person of Jesus has a different purpose than the shadow form of freedom. And Paul describes it this way. In Galatians chapter 5, he says so clearly, after saying you were called to freedom, he goes on to say in verse 13, through love, become slaves, strong language, to one another. You see, a shadow freedom exists to fill up the self, to serve the self. True freedom through the person and works of Jesus Christ that we would put our faith and trust in him. The purpose of that freedom is to serve others, is to lift others up, is to use our freedom for the sake of those around us so that others would flourish. Imagine what a world would look like. Imagine what a city would look like. Imagine what Los Angeles would look like. Imagine what our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our households would look like if we stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the true person of freedom, and we began to serve the way that Jesus served. Remember, Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul clearly says that we shouldn't use this freedom for ourselves, but we should use our freedom for the sake of others. And in this world, in this true freedom world, we're not freedom feeding, we're freedom serving. In fact, Paul goes on and he says this, verse 14, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what freedom is for. It's not for me. It's for you. And it's not just for you. It's for others in your life. And it's not just for others, dead-ending at them. It's through others to those in their life that there would be this ripple effect of freedom, this 
magnificent, glorious explosion of grace and freedom that would flow through a relationship with Jesus Christ in us and through us to those in our lives and beyond. And then as Paul says, that there is not just a person of true freedom, not just a purpose to true freedom, but there is a path to true freedom. And he says it in verse 16, so clear, so profound. He simply says, live by the Spirit. You see, the path to true freedom is in relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The path is intimately connected to the person. You cannot remove the, the path to freedom and the person of freedom. In fact, the path and the person are one and the same. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so when we live by the Spirit, we're not living by our good deeds, our good works. We're not living, competing with one another with a superiority complex. We're not living with an inferiority complex, uh, envying one another. We're not living to bite and devour one another. We're not living to self-indulge and gratify the desires of the flesh to live by the Spirit is to take every step of every moment of every day in relationship with Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. It is to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. Remember in the beginning how I shared that that word for conceit is two words put together Kinos and doxos, the word is kinodoxia. You see, we become empty of glory. We become empty of significance when we pursue a shadow form of freedom. That is the result. That is the fruit. That is the destination. We become empty shells of humanity that are biting and clawing at and devouring one another. And Paul says, ultimately, we will become consumed. When we choose to serve ourselves, we end up empty. But now listen to this. In Philippians chapter 2, a different letter, same author, the Apostle Paul writes this. Many believe that this is the first hymn of the early church, the first worship song, taking these words and put to a melody so that it would be remembered, so that it would not be forgotten, so that the next generation would learn these beautiful things. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this in verse 4, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but rather Jesus emptied himself. That's the word kenos. Jesus chose with his freedom to empty himself of that freedom. You see, a shadow form of freedom is trying to fill yourself up and the result is that you find yourself empty. Jesus chose with all of his freedom to empty himself. That's what Paul is saying here. It says this, that he, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, strong language. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took his freedom and laid down his life. The ultimate expression of love, not just for one person, but gave his life for the ransom of many. And the many is all of humanity who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And therefore, and I love this, it says in verse 9, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying to look at Jesus, who with all of his freedom, a freedom that comes from one who has existed for all of eternity, a freedom from one as Colossians 1 and John 1 and Hebrews 1 says, that all things were created through Jesus, and for Jesus, that with all that freedom, Jesus came and emptied himself. He took that freedom and he served. He laid down his life. And it was a result of emptying himself. The fruit of that, quite the opposite of a shadow form of freedom, the fruit of that is that God filled him up, exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above all names, that, that every tongue, every knee should bow, that, that Jesus is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Paul says, have that mind. In a shadow form of freedom, you fill yourself up and you end up empty. In a true form of freedom which is the heart of God for all people is that you would take your freedom and you would give it away in service to those around you. And it wouldn't just be people that you would use your freedom, you would use your power, you would use your authority to not just serve people, but also to serve all of God's creation. That you would have a different relationship with the environment around you, that you would have a different relationship with the gifts that God has given you of the fullness of creation. And when you serve and when you empty yourself and when you live for the sake of others, for the sake of others to flourish, you will be filled up. In the upside down kingdom, freedom comes through becoming owned by God and a slave to others. And in the upside down kingdom, when you are owned by God, when you are captive by God, the great irony is that you will be filled up with more joy and more peace and more purpose and more significance, more glory than in anything else on the planet. We have a profound need to matter in a world that is pursuing significance our ultimate hope is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That the weight of God's glory is weightier, more significant than anything else on the planet. And through relationship with him, you matter. In a world that is pursuing human rights, in a world that is pursuing equality, the fullness of that, the greatness of that can only be found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, God is the inventor of equality. God is the inventor of justice. God is the inventor of mercy and love. God is the inventor of freedom. And when we settle for a shadow form of freedom, when we take the King of Kings off the throne and we want all the things that God promises us without that authority in our life, the true person of freedom in our life, we end up ironically enslaved, captive, 
getting in the way of the thing that which we want, not just for ourselves, but other people. So Paul says, live freely, but use that freedom for the sake of others. The only way we can do that is running to the person of freedom, Jesus Christ, knowing that the purpose is for the freedom of others and to glorify God more than all things. And then the path to that is a relationship with God through Jesus as we live by the Spirit. The world needs this now more than any other point, especially in my life, as we step out back into the world Let's lay aside that, that pursuit of a shadow form of freedom. Let's cultivate that relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's let freedom ring in our lives and in our land. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come to define freedom for us, to give us true freedom, not just a freedom from sin, a freedom from the law, a freedom from earning your love, but a freedom for your purposes, a freedom for your kingdom, a freedom for the sake of others. Would we see that we've been given this gift of a life, a gift that you freely give through your perfect sacrifice? May we steward the freedom of our lives that you give us well. For your name's sake, Jesus, now and forevermore. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen. Okay now, Bellar Church in Los Angeles, we have an opportunity to put into practice this teaching. So would you choose to use the freedom that God has given you to serve others in two ways. First is to pray for the city of Los Angeles. Many of you who are part of the Bellar Church family know that when I first came as the senior pastor six years ago, I invited all of us to become a praying church, that we wouldn't just fit prayer into the nice, easy, convenient times in between all the activity, but rather that we would cover everything we do in prayer. And so back then, six years ago, we literally, we covered every minute of every hour of every day in prayer. People from our church family signed up for a segment of time on a calendar that spread the entire week. And so whether it was 12.02 in the morning, three in the afternoon, this church was praying, not just for our church, but for our city. And so now I wanna invite you to become part of not just a praying church, but a praying city. Would you go to belair.org forward slash pray? Would you sign up? for an available time slot, knowing that in the weeks and months to come, we will continue to resource you during that segment of time that you're gonna sign up for, for how to pray for the city of Los Angeles. Now, some of you, it's gonna be easy to pray at 3 a.m. That's when you work. That's when you're commuting home. For some of you, you're gonna to choose to sacrifice in the season, to use the, the freedom that you have to serve this city, to pray for it. Our goal is that we would cover every minute of every hour of every day in prayer 
for this great city. We believe in the power of prayer because we believe in the one whom the prayers are directed to, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. In addition to praying for this city, we have an opportunity to serve this city. Now as a church, we do so and have been doing so for 64 years, but we wanna take this moment with this platform that we have and we wanna tell you about another church in this city, a sister church, Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. They've been around since 1888. They're part of our presbytery. And I want to open your heart and your eyes to see how they are choosing to serve this city. May it inspire you to do the same. Take a look. Not only are we giving a tangible resource to the community, but we're now coming to be kind of a community for the community. People, we've gotten to know the folks who need us. Um, there's a certain group of folks that have lost jobs or there's gone from one, two incomes to one income households and they need the extra help. And so we've gotten to know them. We know some of them by name and just giving a, a simple, God bless you, good to see you again, is really, it goes a long way for that just connection that we need during this time. Well, Virginia, we are in this beautiful auditorium and there's a whole host of food all around us. Could you just tell us a little bit about what takes place here on a daily basis? Okay, sure. Um, you'll see on here, we have what we daily give out. Today is Tuesday and we're giving out a protein, chicken, yogurt, etc. And what the volunteers do is they put it in one of these bags that uh, one of our partners, Cedar Side, I gave, and this is what we hand out to the participant when they come to our door over there. So on a given day, you don't know exactly what the menu is going to be. It just depends no. on what is delivered, and Correct. then what's delivered is what you can actually give yeah. out. Yeah, and if you had come at 1 p.m. yesterday afternoon, this place was practically empty. Wow. And we got a phone call from Dream Center saying, hey, we have nine pallets of food for you. Come get it. And let me tell you what a relief because we weren't sure what we would give out today. And so it's just amazing. We've seen that over and over wow. since we started the six day um, food pantry. We didn't know we were going to have the food, but God has kept continuing to provide just when we need it. So that's a common occurrence is that yes. you just don't know how God's going to provide, but God continues to show up and is faithful to you and to the people that you're serving. And it's just a, amazing. It's amazing the work that you're doing and the thoughtfulness behind it. I'm here with Andy Schwiebert, the transitional pastor at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, a church that has been established in Los Angeles since 1882. The commitment to this city is incredible. And uh, that commitment that we've also shared with one another as churches, that we've been partnering together, supporting one another. And uh, I just am so amazed by the transition that has taken place in this season from Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. So could you share a little bit more about what's happened in the season of pandemic? Yes. The first Saturday of the pandemic, uh, we as, normally we would have 120 people out lined up outside uh, for the food pantry operations. It was 180. The next week was 300. The next week was 400. Every week there'd just be more people that um, were hit hard economically by this pandemic and were in need. And so, here we are, we have this food pantry and we're seeing this demand um, and we just started to, to, to reorganize ourselves and look for support from the, the community to, to, to make this happen. Could you just share a little bit about who are these people that you're actually serving? What does the community look like? We're in Koreatown and it's a really diverse community. Um, 
250,000 people in a three or four square mile area and um, all walks of life. Uh, but we're seeing folks come to our doors who two months ago were employed. Mm. Now there's, it's all dried up mm. and so they're looking for support and fortunately we're able to provide it right now. Mm -hmm. We've been creative about finding food and resources that can make this happen uh, and the volunteers and staff that are here are amazing and we're, um, we're feeling God's presence through the work of, of, this, of this food pantry right now. Think about how Jesus fed 5,000 with you know, five loaves of bread and two fish. And I'm hearing this kind of real time in the here and now miracle that's taking place where you're like, God, I don't know how we're gonna feed all of these people that you have for us to minister to. And Jesus is like, I, I have you, I got you. I'm gonna provide for you. And I'm gonna provide in ways you never even imagined. It's so beautiful. So thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your leadership in this time of transition, for being willing to step into this call that God has for you and your community. And thank you for inviting us to participate with you. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. It's a blessing. It's a privilege, so thank you.